Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Sunday School Extra. We appreciate you being here today. Uh, this is for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And this is going to be for November the 26th, 2023. We're going to be covering a passage that is very close in line with the church's ongoing uh, method of moving to a prayer ministry within our doors. We want to get a prayer ministry established and this particular section of scripture is actually going to talk about prayer, um, public prayer for that matter, and the reasons for it. And so we want to continue to emphasize what scripture says about prayer as we go about this study. And we hope that in the uh, in the efforts to uh, make clear uh, the importance of prayer, that some of these messages that we have about prayer will be indeed conveyed. So what we'll do, first of all, as we get into this topic of prayer in 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we are just so thankful for your presence. We ask that you bless this time now that we spend in your word and look at what you have to say to us. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're speaking to us about when it comes to prayer. May the Holy Spirit provide the wisdom that we need to truly hear what's being said. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everyone, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 7. And... This particular section in 1 Timothy, of course, this is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, one of the young leaders uh, within the church, and he is the church head over Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. But he is actually emphasizing in this particular section of 1 Timothy the importance of prayer and where prayer should be directed. And we're going to read the passage, verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, It's fitting to note that this is a very rich topic. There's plenty to talk about here with these first seven verses. And I'm going to note, too, that the second part of 1 Timothy chapter 2 will probably use for a separate uh, Sunday school extra because there's a lot there that uh, will hopefully, when we do the study, will alleviate a lot of misconceptions about what's being said about men and women uh, within this subject. But We didn't want to mix the two topics in one study, so that's why we're doing this one, verses 1 through 7, and we'll cover on a future uh, time, verses 8 through 15. But let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And again, the focus is on prayer for this particular subject. So let's read from the New Living Translation, and we ask that you follow along in your own version. Verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher, 
an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. All right, that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 in the New Living Translation. So let's get into this subject of prayer because it, essentially this chapter starts off with the importance of recognizing prayer in your life and why we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to make sure that prayer is indeed something that we are doing every day, many times a day, and in the morning and in the evening and all the time in between, and that we emphasize that as a way of life. Believers need to emphasize prayer as a way of life. And we do that because this is, first of all, how we communicate directly with God. It is our way of communicating and speaking to him. And prayer can be done whether you are driving in a car and you keep your eyes open or if you're quietly praying, sitting at a table somewhere or reflecting on the words that you've studied. For example, when we do our two-year Bible plan or any Bible plan, you're going to spend time in prayer over what you've read as well, too. And this needs to be a lifestyle. It needs to be something that is emphasized every day. You should have scripture in some way, shape, or form all around you. And you'll be, you'll be ready to study and get into God's word according to the schedule that you put forth for yourself. And this is about discipline, everybody. This is about having a disciplined lifestyle of prayer as a believer. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot afford to neglect prayer in their lives. It is really the lifeblood of everything we do and the essence of everything that we believe when we talk about Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, we're giving him the attention that he deserves rightfully. He is worthy of our praise. And so prayer should be a part of that way of living and thinking. So when we see what Paul is saying to Timothy and giving the emphasis of prayer, he wants Timothy to communicate this information to his church members as well or to anybody else who he comes around. The importance of prayer. Verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Pray for all people. And that's a very general statement, but we'll look at that in a little bit more detail. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now, realistically, we can ask the Lord, to, we can pray for all people, but I think the most important aspect of this praying for all people is all people we, we know, I think, is the best way to apply this. The people that we know in our lives, that we have regular contact with, regular uh, communication with, and maybe even not so regular, but anybody we know should be at the forefront of our prayer. It's intercessory prayer is what we were talking about here. Asking for God to help the, those people intercede on their behalf. If, in fact, there are issues of sin in someone's life that you know, you want to intercede on their behalf and pray for them to be healed, That pray for them to uh, have the wisdom to seek uh, the Lord for forgiveness for what they've been doing. And you also want to be thankful Thank, be thankful for those people in your life that have been a good influence for you, that have been um, working tirelessly for the faith, serving in such a way where they are just going on and on, just like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep moving, and there's no stopping them. Uh, and I think that that's what we also want to do, too. We want to be thankful for those who have been very dedicated, 
in service. There's no limitation to this thing about prayer. But when we're talking about thinking of other people that we know, we typically will know them by name. We can typically use their names and pray with specificity about um, their lives, what they're involved in, praying for healing where it's needed. We typically use healing as a reason for prayer. But sometimes we need to expand upon just the aspect of praying for healing, but praying also for that person's well-being, thanking uh, the Lord for that person being so faithful and standing on the Word of God no matter what they're doing, praying for um, your the leadership in a church as well too, praying for your pastors, praying for your elders, praying for all the people affiliated with the church who are working behind the scenes, the trustees. There's all kinds of people that we can be praying for and just emphasizing that there's no limitation. We um, encourage you to even write down uh, or journal those item, items of prayer so that you'll remember to pray for them. And remember, God knows your heart, but he also wants to see how dedicated you are when it comes to this thing about prayer and thinking of others before you think of yourself. It's very tempting to take prayer and automatically make a conclusion that we need to pray for things that we have in our lives or things that we need to do or uh, my agenda for the day. But we need to come back to the fact that it's more important for us to not just pray for ourselves, but pray for others. Um, one of the commandments in the Bible is uh, in Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 through 40, about uh, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, which means you're praying for, obviously, yourself, but you're also praying for your neighbors. What about your neighbors on your street? Are you lifting them up in prayer? So that essentially is what verse 1 is all about. And God, because he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he wants us to recognize that we have an impact on those people that we know, uh, and even people in the world when we're all praying, um, intercessory prayer, when we're praying, because God hears our prayers, listens to our prayers, and responds to our prayers. doesn't matter whether or not we have the knowledge completely that about how God acts when answering those prayers, because that's not really our issue. The issue is more or less that we just stay in prayer and stay focused on prayer. And no matter how long it takes, we stay in prayer. We don't just pray for a day or two and then stop. We want to keep praying for those individuals who are, we know are in need of prayer. And we want to have that mindset. We're talking about a mindset. Let's go to verse number two. Uh, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now, this is a very interesting subject because when we talk about praying for kings and all who are in authority, this is something that um, applies certainly in context to the time that Paul is writing this. Guess who was in charge at the time when Paul is talking about praying for all kings? Uh, Nero was actually the king. Uh, around that time. He was the emperor, I should say. And by all accounts, Nero was an absolute nutcase. <laughs> Just, I, I, I don't necessarily like using those terms, but when I say that, I really mean that. He was, 
he was operating as the head of the Roman Empire, the emperor, and he was known to be very erratic in his behavior. And so that implies that whatever the government was back then was quite corrupt and unpredictable. And But look at what is what he's saying. Look at what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Here's what this passage truly means. And you can apply it to today when it comes to even politics or our own government or any government that has presided over the United States. Uh, some governments have been had the reputation to be very good and some not so good. And even local governments and all that, school boards, whatever it is. You're going to have situations where people who are in charge or in authority are not the best governments. But what the biggest concern should be for every believer is what's in the second part of verse 2. So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now let's be clear about something here, especially in the days contextually of Paul's time where there is persecution based upon what you believed and what you felt. We want to pray for those governments, honestly, to those that are doing well and everything is wonderful for everyone. You celebrate and praise God for that. For those governments that are not like that, then you're going to pray for God to give restraint to those governments that they don't do what? Overrun you so that you can't practice being a believer publicly. Because that's exactly what this is all about. The one thing that we take for granted sometimes in this particular country um, is that we are able to move about as a church, as a people, uh, as a denomination, and go out through all the world and preach the gospel. Well, when there are restrictions that might be put in place, and there's a lack of religious freedom to do those things, that just makes our work much more difficult. It doesn't restrict God per se, but it does restrict us. And those freedoms that we want to experience, we want to make sure that we're living peacefully. We want to make sure that we're living quiet lives. These are things that we have to emphasize when we talk about prayer. So if the government is not so good, if it's not a government that you want to have anything, any dealings with, you guess what you're praying for the Lord to do? To restrain those governments and and keep that authority, even though they are an authority, You don't want them to impact how you live as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want it to impact anybody. But what is our most important function? To go into the world and preach the gospel. That is what God commands us to do. And we want to pray that we have the ability to keep doing those very things. To go, you know, you can go to different street corners in America, even in America, in certain areas. And depending upon how you go about it, You can be restrained from uh, preaching the gospel and speaking about it. But understand something. We generally still have those freedoms to do that. And we just have to make sure that we're operating in order as we do it and go about our business and not do it just for likes and clicks on Facebook or or any other uh, social media platform. We're doing it because we're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and we're not. Being, We're not bragging about it. We're not boasting about it. We're just doing it quietly, and we're doing it in such a way where we're submitting to authority at the end of the day. But our biggest authority will always remain the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we want to emphasize the importance of 
making sure that people can still hear and receive the good news. That's what we want to always pray for. But Nero, who was emperor between AD 54 and 68, was notoriously cruel. And so when Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's saying, yeah, we even need to pray for him and pray for his government that he is restrained from taking out any action. Now, eventually, we know that that wasn't the case. There, was, there were times when he definitely came after people who were in uh, the faith, uh, going or following the way, as it was called back in the day. But we need to make sure that we're praying for everyone, and that includes those people who are evil and and not living the right way. Um, we These prayers that we have to intercede for people, of course we're interceding for uh, people who are following the Lord as well too. And it's important for us to pray, even though he knows those individuals, he wants us to hear what we have to say about those people too. God loves every person uh, who certainly has a relationship with him. And I want to look at a passage to see if it also uh, reflects that as well, too. You know, for that matter, God even loved those people who were not acting right. And we want to point that out as well, too. He loves them, but he doesn't, he doesn't like the sin in their lives, but he loves the person. But let's take a look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. And... You should recognize this very readily because we have to recognize that we are praying to a God who does indeed see everything, knows everything, is aware of everything. and But he does, even though he knows all of these things that we're talking about, about being um, omnipotent, omniscient, he knows everything about um, the people that he created. He still wants us to interact with him because he's fully aware of who we are he's sensitive to who we are let's look at verse one verse 13 in psalm 139 for it was you who created my inward parts you knit me together in my mother's womb i will praise you because i have been remarkably and wonderfully made your works are wonderful and i know this very well verse 15 my bones were not hidden from you when i was made in secret When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. In verse 17, God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend how vast your sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. So we're praying to a... a God that is indeed knows everything and everyone very intimately down to the bottom of your heart knows everything about you that should always give us pause every time I look at a passage like this about how God knows every single bit about us he knows our successes he knows our failures he knows our um, our great points he knows our faults he knows that we sometimes have sin in our lives. There's nothing that you can hide from him. You know, isn't, isn't it funny how we can, in the same way that Adam and Eve, uh, when they finally sinned, had the notion to hide from God. 
uh, even at that very moment when they committed sin. Before that, there was no consider. Before that sin, there was no consideration of hiding or anything like that. But we, you can't hide from God. God knows all about who we are, and because He knows about all we, who we, about who we are, we should always be actively praying. This is where you pray for yourself more. Actively praying that we have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because having a right relationship with him, asking for forgiveness for sin and seeking him in prayer on a daily basis, a regular basis throughout the day, that is going to maintain that right relationship with him. And even David, who committed some pretty egregious sins that we read about in Second Samuel, he still had the heart to ask God for forgiveness and seek him in prayer. And God basically honored those prayers. There were still consequences from the sin, but he honored those prayers. Prayer should always be a part of our way of thinking. And why? Because if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, let's take a look at that. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And that's why we're supposed to pray. He wants us to pray Remain intimate with God in prayer. And when I say intimate, we need to make sure that we're praying in such a way where we're not just giving like rote prayers. We're praying with sincerity. We're praying with generalities. We're praying with specific issues that come up in our lives. Issues not just for us, but issues for others as well, too, as part of that intercessory prayer. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to present this information. And we do so making sure that we're even praying for those people that we don't care for. Um, We're praying for them to repent and turn from their sin, but we're also praying for us to be able to do what? Carry out the mission of Jesus Christ throughout the world. That's what we're praying for. Satan puts up roadblocks, but guess what? Satan uh, is not more powerful than what Jesus can do. So we need to always think and and act on those terms as we go. So we want everyone to be saved and we want everyone to know the truth. Um, And that's important. Why we do those things? I want you to take a look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. This pretty much covers, this passage will cover pretty much everything we've talked about thus far today. Why do we pray continually and we do so because it's really going to be a a testimony not just for you and me but for others who are observing uh what's taking place in the lives of others who are being prayed for james chapter 5 verse 16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful amen very powerful and then it goes on and so it talks about the example of elijah who was a man just like us in verse 17 elijah was a man with a nature like ours yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land because god answered his prayer he was praying according to god's will in that situation And then verse 18, then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. 
So we need to understand how powerful prayer really is. And I think that this scripture in James that we have about prayer, which we've covered before, um, I believe, in a previous Sunday School Extra as well, too, about how it's important for us to pray because if we don't pray, how do we know what God's going to do? If we don't pray, we don't know what how God's going to respond to these prayers. It's so important for us to take the initiative to stay in prayer. We want everyone to be saved and to understand the truth because that's what God desires for us. And in fact, let's take a look at the passage that reiterates this. Uh, go to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. For those of you who are uh, looking at scriptures like this, you, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, I'm going to let you know ahead of time, is going to be one of those memory verses that you're going to learn to study and, and hear about as you go through the word and start to go through it more and more. Verse 9, the Lord does not delay, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't desire for anyone to perish. Now, that doesn't mean that people, not all people are going to be saved. We've already seen in the word, in scripture, where this is applicable. The Bible makes it very clear that many people are going to reject Christ. It was very evident, even in Jesus' time when he was here on earth. Um, there are many examples of that in scripture. I guess I'll pick one. Uh, it's in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. It's also in John 12, verses 44 to 50. But we're going to look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Don't go too fast. There we go. We're going to look at verses 26 through 29. Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 29. I love this little Bible here. I've had this for quite a while now. And some of the pages are starting to come loose. But it's very, very easy to carry around and recommend that you get a bible like this a, a smaller bible that you can just kind of keep with you so you can just do some regular reading and study and and uh enjoy god's word right in your fingertips it's nice to have the electronic devices but it's also nice to have paper as well too verse 26 of hebrews 10 for if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the spirit of grace. Now, if you're doing all those things, you never did ever have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you may have heard the truth, but let's be very clear here. If you're talking about being uh, calling the Son of God profane, the blood of the covenant that He was doing, you're basically denying the the works of the Holy Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin. That's what we have to recognize here. And so we're not talking about believers in this type of a passage. We're talking about people who never did have a relationship, a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. And that leads us to verse 5 in 1 Timothy 2. 
For there is one God and mediate, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And that's what we want to see here is that there is one God and one mediator. Um, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Now, why is this important? Well, contextually, we want to make sure that we uh, recognize that back in the time of uh, the Romans, there were many gods that were being worshipped. The Romans worshipped many gods, and they had names for them. And we, too, um, even today, worship many gods as well, too. Um, and you have to understand something. The gods that the Romans were worshipping were inanimate gods. And guess what we do? We worship inanimate gods as well, too. We worship many different things. Some have to do with pleasure. Some have to do with television. Some have to do with entertainment. Some have to do with physical things like cars and boats. And We have a problem with worshiping other gods in that manner because anything that we elevate to a level that essentially is above God is a God that we're worshiping outside of worshiping the Lord. doesn't mean that we don't know how, how to worship God. We certainly do. Once we just put our focus on him, he will teach us and show us how we do that. But we also, because of our expertise sometimes in following those things that have nothing to do with God, we, we develop a way of worshiping them as well, too. Hollywood is a way of uh, a religion of sorts for some people. We, are, we have so much influence today that comes out in the world about what celebrities think and do and how they live and how we want to emulate those lifestyles of the rich and famous. And I think that's the program that started it all when back in the day, the lifestyles of the rich and famous or or maybe even uh, this is your life. We would see the life of someone who maybe was very famous and think that that's the way we want to live. And those programs that we see on television, basketball wives, and well, I don't see them. I don't watch those programs, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, that is can be a religion for some people, knowing and, and wanting to know about what to worship. But we got to come back to the fact that there's only one God, there's only one mediator, one person who can give you the access that you need to to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. We have a high priest, and he is the mediator. We don't have multiple ways of salvation. And I, a comment that I saw about that is really interesting about when a person says that they have a commitment um, to, they, they, they're not making a commitment for only one God and one mediator. It's almost like they're just leaving it open for chance. But it also implies that they haven't made a commitment themselves. So rather than box themselves in a corner, they would much rather say, well, there's a lot, lot of ways you can get to heaven. There's a lot of ways that you can achieve those things. But when it comes right down to it, all of them uh, don't pass the, the, the test. They don't pass the muster. Um, when God says in his word that there's only one way to get to, um, to have salvation and eternal life, why are we ignoring what God's word says about that? Why are we putting up other opportunities for people to, or other ways for people to say that they can go to, to Christ? Uh, interestingly enough, when when we have a, a, the discussion about salvation, sometimes we draw an illustration about how the cross is the, the way for you to come from a life that is unsaved to a life that's saved. And so there's just one bridge, right? We, you do the bridge analogy. 
and there's just usually one way across, and that's the way of Christ. Uh, there's not multiple ways to go um, to get to that one place. I really believe, and I think it's true, that a lot of people who make statements like this, they just don't really think that it matters about finding God. They would much rather follow their own ways of thinking or understanding. Many ways to, to God requires less work, less effort. You don't want to have to put thought into the fact that, well, there's only one God. And so now these are the people that condemn themselves immediately, and they will make things even much worse if they wind up uh, convincing people that there are multiple ways to God. So we have to understand that the truth of the gospel has to be preached. And I know that there are going to be people who are going to try to push back on that. But if they push back, that's on them. The truth is being articulated. That's what's being shared. And honestly, um, in this age of grace, it's really our responsibility to keep pushing that message. So in prayer, you're going to continue to focus on the lost and make sure that they get this message, that they understand what the Spirit has been saying and speaking to them about, that they get the message that uh, verse 6 again in 1 Timothy 2, chapter, 1 Timothy, 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 6, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. We need to hear this message today, now. It's not about the future. It's obviously every day that we have is a day that we stand for Christ, live for Christ, share about Christ as we are called upon. And we, and we should be getting out into the world and saying these things, not just saying them in the privacy of our own home. And not just at church either, too. Although we recognize that not everybody who goes to church is a believer in Jesus Christ. So the church has the responsibility of proclaiming the same message that Paul is proclaiming to Timothy as well, too. And that Timothy is to share with his congregation. You still need to share the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Because as many people as you can imagine need to hear this truth. And make a decision about this truth. So that's why we are focused on emphasizing there's one way, there's one mediator, there is one God who reconciles God and humanity. That is the man Christ Jesus, as in verse 5 here. So the facts remain and they will continue to remain. We human beings... Even at birth, we were separated from God because we were born in sin, because we took on the nature of Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve, they took on the nature of sin and decided they had to hide because they couldn't, they didn't want to be anywhere near God. They did, they were fearful of God. That's the very thing that we have to overcome in our flesh as well, too. We have to make the effort to go to God and speak to Him about our sin and be reconciled with the Father because we believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reason that we do what we do. He made the sacrifice for us. He loves us. Um, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that God loved the world so much he gave his Son. He wants us to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the mediator, the Son, who if we believe in him, we're not going to die. We're not going to be eternally separated from God because of our sin, but we will have eternal life. And we have to live in such a manner where we recognize that God came into the world through Jesus Christ, 
as the living sacrifice for us so that all the entire world could be saved through him, through him and him alone. So that is what scripture has been saying over and over again. It's emphasized over and over again in First John. He says the same things too about who Jesus is. Everything points to Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. And you might choose to get into a debate with somebody who says there's more than one way, but you're not going to be able to point to anything that is going to lead to an ironclad statement that they can support. Um, we have scripture, and we believe by faith that scripture is true, and that's why we believe what we believe. And the Spirit has to give us this inkling of believing everything when it comes to what we're reading and studying. So I hope that you can see that as well, too. The Spirit is who gives us the ability through faith to understand the words of God. And finally, in verse 7, And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle, this is Paul, to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. And he felt the need to make a statement. This is a credibility statement, everyone. This is what this is all about. And But even in his credibility statement, because he's making the statement, if you take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to hear about these credentials as an apostle. And sometimes it's important to hear even someone like Paul acknowledge, even in the words that he uses about who he is as an apostle, that... Well, I'll let you I'll let you just make that conclusion as we read it together. First Corinthians 15. Let's take a look at verses seven through 11. And he had mentioned in this passage about what's most important. And he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the gospel. But I'm going to pick up at verse seven because he was referring to Jesus after he was resurrected. And this is about credibility, right? Um, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Verse 8, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Now look at what he says here. This is kind of cool because Paul, you know, he had to have that moment where he was humbled before the Lord, uh, especially when he was Saul, and I'll explain why in a moment. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, not yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you have believed. The most important thing is not so much about how elevated of an apostle that, that Paul is, he's saying, I'm the least of these because I wasn't even there with Jesus when he walked the earth for two years. He came after the fact when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. So he is saying, though, the most important thing is that Christ was resurrected and he gives us the reason, the ability to believe in him and believe in his message and so, therefore, it is a privilege for us to preach and speak the truth about who Jesus is. But all of this starts with prayer. Prayer as to who you are in Christ. Prayer for others as you go about your business uh, in the, within the body of Christ. Praying for people that you know specifically who are in need of prayer for various different reasons or ways. And staying in prayer. 
and staying focused on the Word as you go through it. And the best ways that I know personally to stay in the Word every day and stay in the Word is just is stay in prayer every day, excuse me, is to stay in the Word every day. The Word compels you to think of others as you go about your life and serve Christ. And so what Paul was teaching Timothy to share, frankly, with his own congregation is about staying in prayer, asking in this intercessory prayer for God to um, intercede, give thanks for those people who are indeed serving alongside you in the ministry, and that's all over the world in the body of Christ. But you're also praying uh, for governments, praying for people within governments as well, too. But it's not even so much about praying for them because they'll change their hearts or minds and and do things the way you think they should do them. But you're praying to maintain a place where you're living in freedom and you can share the gospel publicly. That's what you're praying for because there's going to come a time in this country and in the future where those freedoms will be completely gone. So you're praying right now in this age of grace while the Spirit is present, that you're having people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to be tougher in the future when we can't go out, but that doesn't mean that God won't still keep sending people to go out and preach. But that's for them, for that time, but for today, living in today's world, knowing how, frankly, Christians and believers face a great deal of opposition, why aren't you in prayer more often? We need to be in prayer all the time here. Make it a habit, everyone, to pray for your church if you're in a church. Pray for your family members. Pray for people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever those people are you know in your life. And pray in such a manner where you're not just doing it once a a week, but every day lifting those people up for prayer and praying specifically for individuals who you know are in need of healing, in need of help, who are desperate, pray for those people. Have the lifestyle where you're praying continually. Praying continually. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to now go over your word and share your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you indeed compel us to pray early and often, every day, and that you compel us to pray not because you don't know what's going on, because we as believers just need to be more engaged in this faith that we say that we have. More engaged with you. Communicating with you. Speaking to you. Trusting you with the prayers that we give to you. And also trusting, Lord, in the timing. Because we know that your timing is not like our timing. And we don't want to just pray for a day or two. We want to pray continuously. We want to pray for people for If it takes a year, if it takes two years, if it takes ten years, staying in prayer for those people, that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we live a lifestyle of prayer for you. And we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this Sunday School Extra, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We appreciate you being here today. Take care of yourselves. God bless you. We'll see you next time.